Hello and welcome to the Rambling Runner Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Chittam, and this is the podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there who are working hard to get better while balancing running with the rest of their lives. And this show is presented by Mercury Mile. Mercury Mile is fusing fashion and function for runners of all abilities, and they're doing it in just three easy steps. Go to mercurymile.com. Enter your sizes and your preferences and you'll get a box of curated running goodies sent to your home. You'll pick out what you love, you'll send back what you don't, and you'll pay a great price in the process. This is not a subscription service. You get a box whenever you order it, which is exactly why you should go to mercurymile.com and sign up for their newsletter so you know when the sales are happening because that makes a good deal even better. Use code RAMBLINGRUNNER10 at checkout to save ten dollars in the process also if you're looking to get a coach we're also brought to you by lowell running company so i'm a coach there now there's a lot better coaches there than me though i gotta tell you what they are founded by ruben sansa ruben is an olympic uh an olympic marathoner also nate jenkins is on staff who is an olympic trials qualifier as well as some many other high quality coaches they are athlete focused coach driven and science-based low running company helps individuals of all athletic levels reach their maximum potential in distance running through online coaching and mentoring so this episode is with tyler mayforth tyler was a former college runner who then took a significant time off and now has gotten back into the flow and this is kind of like he basically went through two different steps here so in high school, you'll hear all of this in the podcast, just short intro. In high school, he definitely wasn't one of those kids who just hit the ground running, uh, literally nor figuratively, from a high school cross-country perspective. And then after taking a significant amount of time off, he had to kind of do that do that again, kind of ramp up the process. And here he is. He's killing it now, <laughs> for sure. But it just shows, I think it's a great example of somebody who obviously had certain inherent gifts from an athletic perspective, but who has worked really hard after a significant break to kind of get back into the flow. And I feel like this guy is going to do amazing things in 2018, kind of like the end of our 2017 into 2018 recap for all the people who are looking to set big goals. Tyler was my last interview in that process, and I know you'll gain a lot from this episode. So I hope you like it with Tyler May 4th. Hello, Tyler, and welcome to the Rambling Runner podcast. Hey, Matt, how are you? I'm doing great. Thank you for joining me. Hey, no problem. This is an honor. Uh, I've been listening for a while. I actually got through most of my seven-hour drive going to Huntsville, Alabama by listening to your podcast, a bunch of former guests, and I've been enthralled and amazed to be the number. Oh, hey, I'm glad you'd be on here, too. That's for sure. So why were you driving to Huntsville? Uh, That was my marathon back on December 8th. Got it. Got it. Well, I'll tell you what. Hopefully, we hopefully the, the the podcast spurred you on because you killed it. You ran at two thirty six, which obviously is incredibly fast. And it was a was it twelve minute PR from your from your um, from grandma's? Yeah, just under uh, just about twelve minutes. I ran two forty eight thirty seven at grandma's in Duluth in June, and then two thirty six fifty three at the Rocket City Marathon. No, that's a huge increase. So, you know, when you started, so we're recording this on January 2nd. So, say last Happy year, New Year to everybody. There you go. <laughs> so, last year at this time, uh, as you were projecting forward in 2018, do you have any specific goals laid out? As far as 2018 goes, you mean? Yeah, exactly. Um, I really didn't. I was just kind of getting back into the running scene. Um, all I knew was that I had scheduled, I would kind of planned to do a half marathon in Chicago at the end of uh, January when I was visiting a friend up there. But other than that, I had no goals in terms of marathons, no visions of marathons, and this kind of happened. That's interesting because usually marathons don't just happen. <laughs> right? Because they're usually you know, after like months of training and working really, really hard, but for you, it's a little different because you've been a runner, you know, essentially your entire life. You know, you're going back to high school and running at University of Delaware. So let's dive in a little bit into the, into the background because oftentimes when you see someone's a Division One runner and someone who then proceeds to then break 236 in the marathon and then has visions of, of far greater than that, 
you just assume, or at least I would, that running has just kind of been this natural thing. Like, nat- mm-hmm. Obviously, it has a certain amount of talent, a certain amount of giftedness, and then on top of that, a ton of hard work. But looking back at your high school career, you weren't just this instant star, you know, going back freshman, sophomore year. No, I, I really wasn't. Um, I originally had wanted to go out for the baseball team and the basketball team and the football team. You know, it's any blue-blooded all-American boy wants to. Um, but in <laughs> as a 14-year-old, I think I was like four foot eleven, 110 pounds. Uh, so <laughs> I went up. We were in the process of walking through the I think it was the cafeteria at high school where all the coaches were hanging out and you wanted to talk to them as freshmen with our parents and every other coach kind of shunned me away. And then the, the cross country and track and field coach was like, come to us. We're the band of misfits. You'll fit right in. Um, so I kind of transitioned to, uh, to cross country there. And then I still played baseball my freshman year, but I kind of got more focused into running because I noticed that there might be a future there. It's funny how you phrased it like that, because I think even if you look at like certain cross country high school documentaries, a lot of them are kind of framed in that light. Maybe they don't use the terms like like land of misfit toys, but it does (laughs) have this sort of like, you know, this like, um, this subsection of athletes where for a lot of folks it's like their second or third choice is like joining the cross country team, which is so funny because like running is this essential element in all the other sports. And yet for, for, you know, maybe not like the top high school programs, but for many of them, it's like, Oh, I couldn't participate in the other sports. So I joined cross country. I mean, let's just be honest with it. Who wants to go out there and just run miles? I mean, there's no glory in it. I mean, Unless you're in running and love running, there's no glory in it. You want to score touchdowns. You want to hit home runs. You want to do all those other great accomplishments. And in high school, you know, you see all the jocks out there. People want to gravitate towards that. So unless you have grown up with running, not many people are going to. But I see that as time wears on a little bit, more and more people kind of gravitate towards running. Because there are so many great individual accomplishments to have so many great life lessons to be learned from it. Um, and so you can see that track and field is really starting to grow, which is amazing to see. And it's not a traditional team sport. Obviously cross country has a team element within it, but you know, for a lot of younger kids, you know, going out there and working hard by yourself is something that isn't necessarily as enjoyable as when you're, when you're later on in life. And then you also have the component of, you, know, you want to be part of a group that's part of like that whole dynamic of that age group is fitting in and being part of this community. So purposefully going out for a sport that's kind of a solo endeavor in certain ways can be, you know, maybe paradoxical for some kids. No, I completely agree. I, 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 yeah, I lost my train of thought there. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no. So when you went out for it, you know, you didn't exactly have immediate success so what kept you in it? Like, what made you want to continue to work hard and get after it? That's a great question. I honestly don't know. <laughs> um, I guess it was the idea that through hard work, I could become a lot better at something. Uh, I've never shied away from hard work in my life. I've never shied away from trying to become better at anything that's thrown in my path. So once I saw that, you know, better times coming off of harder work, I said, hey, maybe I can work a little bit harder. And I can just imagine if I put in then what I what I have put in now with my marathon training and all that kind of stuff, how good I could have been. But we can't live in the past. We're in the future and the present now. Uh, So it's just a learning process. And I've learned that through that hard work, good things can happen. Yeah. So your sophomore year, you were, you know, a quality runner, but kind of like a little bit above average. It seemed like, you know, I guess it depends on where you grow up. And above then, average is a quite a, uh, that's a big <laughs> statement there. I don't think, uh, I don't think if you look at the dictionary, you'd find my picture from sophomore year of high school in there. 
Because what, what was it? We ran a twenty fifty six in a cross country five yeah. k. Obviously, yeah. but cross country five k's are hard from a time perspective to judge because every course is so different, and so it can exactly. be fairly technical and things like that. So, but then I'm just going to say that was uphill three and a half. 3.1 miles the whole way. Exactly. Like a grade of 85%. <laughs> exactly. Believe me. Everybody else listening, believe me, okay? <laughs> yeah, it was, it was not an out-and-back course. It would just run nope. to the top of the mountain and we'll, and we'll drive you back home. Um, In Delaware, yes. <laughs> yes, exactly. So two years later, you're running like three minutes faster. And did for you, did you have to have, like, what was the spark to kind of continue with the hard work? Was it success leading to more hard work or were you just solely focus on training and your, you know, your fellow teammates and your coaches that you didn't necessarily need to have initial success in order to work hard. Cause sometimes it's a little bit of a chicken and egg situation. I'll be completely honest with you here. I don't think it was any of that to be honest with you. Um, I think it more had to do with my maturity and development and coming into my own and my body. Um, like I said before, I was four foot 11 and 105 or 110 pounds uh, as a freshman. And then by a, as a senior, I think I, tur- I was about six foot one and 150 pounds. So I was able to really develop, which gave me a little bit more strength, gave me more confidence. And I, was think- I think I was still working as hard because I didn't know the value of hard work and running just yet. Um, I was doing enough to get by. I was doing enough to put myself into a position I think as my body developed and as I became more mature I was able to kind of reap those benefits that is a huge growth spurt my goodness so were you affected at all from injuries during that time because I know for some kids in the midst of a growth spurt if they're exercising hard or even if they're not exercising sometimes um you know just you have just the typical growing pains that can affect anybody yeah um I actually still have a bump in my knee from the Oshkosh slaughter uh, syndrome that I contracted between, I think, my sophomore and junior year or junior and senior year of high school. Um, but other than that, I stayed pretty healthy throughout my high school career. Oh, so did you wear one of those like little straps that go below your knee? I know that was like in vogue for a while. No, I don't remember wearing any of those. I just knew that it was so painful. I just tried to, you know, take some time off and ice it. But, I mean, I still look at it these days. I'm like, oh, there's that bump. <laughs> yeah, my, my, two, two of my best friends in high school also had Osgood Slaughters, which is, like, just the worst name for anything. Like, it, just, it <laughs> right? sounds fake, even though it isn't. Like, it's like, you can literally see the bump on someone's leg. But it is such an awkward thing. It's like, oh, it's because I grew. And you're like, well, everyone grew. Like, what do you mean you have this thing? It was just like such like this amorphous, like, diagnosis that, like, it's like it hits certain people and not others, but there's no way of, like, really telling who it's going to hit. And just the name of it sounds like, you know, Fisher Price, something a kid would play with. Yes, exactly. Exactly. I remember Glenn Rice, if you remember him, was like, like he won, like, the NBA All-Star MVP, like, in the late 90s. And he had, like, these like these two straps went below his knee. And it's exactly what anyone with Osgood Slaughters during that time would have on their knees. But because he was, like, the hot basketball player of that year, it was like, oh, shoot, I want those. <laughs> it became, like, an enviable accessory as opposed to, like, something that you had to, you know, that, like, you know, someone who was, like, going through, like, you know, a early high school, you know, growth spurt would have to deal with. Fashion forward uh, NBA players, I guess. Is that why everybody's wearing arm sleeves now after Allen Iverson did back when? That's it. See, that, that's a good question, right? I think that's, it might've been the, the genesis of it. It's like, now it's like, you know, ultra runner du jour arm sleeves. You know, same thing with trucker hats. I, you always wonder where, like, where that went, where, where that started. I can't bang on that too much. I wore a trucker hat on my run today, but I don't know where the genesis of that came either. When you progressed consistently from, um, you know, all through high school, you got bigger, you got stronger, as we mentioned. Um, when did you start thinking that maybe running after, co- after high school, I'm sorry, is something that was you know, potentially in your future? I think my senior year of uh, high school was when I finally started to realize that I might have a future in it. Um, I think I finished third or fourth at the state meet in division two in Delaware and cross country. And then I had a pretty good indoor and outdoor track year as well. Um, competed really well at the meet of champions, set a PR there in the two mile. And I knew I wanted to 
I had a couple letters sent to me over the years, I guess, from collegiate cross-country coaches and track coaches, but mainly from the Division Three level. I know off the top of my head, Salisbury in Maryland was one of them. Um, there was a uh, Towson University in Maryland was another. That, I mean, that's a D1 school. But I eventually just ended up at Delaware because I wanted to stay close. My mom and dad were putting two of us through college at the same time. I'm actually a twin. twin I have a twin sister. Um, so I just kind of wanted to stay local. I knew that Delaware had a running program. And, yeah, so I just decided to kind of go out for that and see what would happen. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and obviously talking about like high school and college running isn't necessarily like the forte of this podcast, but I do think it's important to set the stage because I feel like you have written about something that I've experienced as well, not with running per se, but having this experience of being a, you know, someone who's really good at something earlier on in life and then having that kind of handicap their mindset later on in life as they reflect on what they used to be able to do. I have this all the time where I like will go out and play noontime hoops with friends and I, I play just fine, but I have these visions of what I used to be able to do. And you've commented before that you have this You were same... straight catching oops on people, weren't you? Yes. Yeah, exactly. Five, nine with my elbow above the rim. Easy. No doubt about Since it. It's Carter-esque. <laughs> Actually, I played in pickup games down at University of Delaware because my buddy used to be the, one of the managers during, when Mike Bray was there. Okay. Um, used to play with like it was like Austin Rowland and Ryan Iverson and those guys, and they were all a lot better than me. Needless to oh, say, that brings back some memories as a Delaware Blue Hand basketball fan back in the day. <laughs> there you go. So, you know, so I had that experience all the time. It's like part of the reason I don't play hoops anymore is because I'm always filled with this like this feeling of oh, it's just it's not going the way I think it should go. And you've talked about that as well with your running about how you know you've had these periods where you reflect back on what you used to be able to do and it can be you know just kind of this negative cloud over some of your workouts yeah um to be honest with you i think that that's more the fact that i look back in disgust and thinking how good i could have yes. been if i put as much effort into it but then again like i said earlier that's such in the past right now that i'm in the present and to be and I am much better than I ever was then now. Okay. Um, I'm hitting PRs better. Um, I still want to smash my college uh, 10K PR if I can do that in March in my next race. I'd love to do that. Um, but as of right now, um, I'm way above where I ever was in college. And that is just it freaks me out <laughs> because – like I said, if I only put in this much hard work as in, as then, maybe even three quarters of that hard work, but I didn't know the value of hard work and running it or committing myself completely. So what was stopping you from committing yourself completely during the college years? When you mentioned in high school, it sounded like you were working hard no matter what. And then, you know, you're on a team, you're you know, obviously like in like a division one setting where, you know, running is, you know, it's, you know, it's, it's all encompassing playing a division, playing a college sport. So what was holding you back during that time? I really don't know. Um, I guess it was just my individual mentality. I, I honestly have Matt, I'm sorry. I don't have really an idea about this. Um, feel free to cut all this. I'm just trying to run through my mind. That's a really good question. I've never been asked that. Um, yeah. Well, now when you look back on it, you say, all right, you have this regret, right? Like, all right, like I Mm -hmm. could have been so much more if I had worked hard or if I was like, you know, had really dedicated myself. When did you start um, dedicating yourself athletically to, you know, whether it's running or any area? Because obviously you, you know, I follow you on Instagram, but you're obviously really strong. You put in a lot of time in the gym. You've done some triathlon stuff as well. When did you start dedicating yourself to athletics in a way that you were really proud of? I guess as soon as I graduated, um, because I knew I was on my own and that I didn't have a, a true coach there. I didn't have all the, um, the gear that I would get or the training room that I could go to or the ice baths I could jump into that I had to focus myself on just creating something for myself. Um, I would have to stay healthy. I would need to 
stretch. I would need to grind through workouts. Um, but I guess that's also what burned me out a little bit because as soon as I graduated, um, I just, and I did a triathlon and I did a couple, uh, half marathons, uh, did my first half in 2007 in October. And then by 2008, I was kind of just done with it. Um, I just wanted to kind of look to some different things. That's why I got into the gym. I wanted to put on some muscle mass. I wanted to look a little bit bigger, I guess, rather than a, you know, a quote unquote weakling runner, which I never was. I mean, even in my collegiate running days, I was always thought of as told that I was, you don't look like a runner, but, or my teammates telling me, do you, do you really need to hit the gym again? <laughs> that kind of thing. Because, you know, I was sick at my running weight. I was six two one sixty eight, which doesn't sound really big, but compared to maybe a five ten one thirty five, it is. Yeah, but you even then, even those pictures, you did look puffier. Like you look, you looked like you weigh more than one sixty eight in those pictures. Mm-hmm. No, no, for sure. Um, but I think I got up to one seventy at most. And then once I graduated, though, um, and I got got into the weight room, I had this idea, this vision that. 62190 or 62195 would look amazing that I would feel so much better and so I put my my mind into that and I hit it I hit that goal when I was you know 62195 for about I guess about 5 months and all of a sudden I was just like god this is a lot of weight to carry around I mean I look a little bit bigger I'm more quote unquote imposing but at the same time, I don't feel like where I need to be with that. So at that stage, I was like, all right, let's cut back down. And with my, my metabolism, knock on wood, how it still is, I was able to kind of get back down to 185. And that's kind of where I hold steady right now. Yeah, and I want to talk to you about that because you are doing some really good things from a running perspective. And you don't necessarily have, at this point in your, in your life, the, the traditional runner's body. By any sense, at least compared to the people who I would, you know, consider your peers on a running perspective. Mm-hmm. Like you wouldn't, you wouldn't step on a marathon line with the other people who are running in the two thirty five pace group. Like, I feel like they would look a lot different than you. So, what is that like? Is there like inherent pressure to cut back even more, or do you take pride in the fact that you're able to do something at a you know physique or body weight that other people aren't trying to do? I take pride that I'm an overall athlete, um, and that includes weightlifting. That includes jumping into triathlons on a whim. That includes running these marathons, half marathons, working out any way possible, maybe going out and flipping a tire, being on the top athlete board at the gym. Um, and if I feel confident, at, I feel confident at any weight. Um, but right now, coming through, like I said, about – six to 185 uh to be able to get on that starting line at a marathon and looking around and being like okay i have a little bit more weight uh but at the same time i'm going to carry this weight just as fast as the next guy uh who's running it whatever it might be and sure there might be some comments um i think it was actually in huntsville someone's like you did you happen to run collegiately? I said, yeah. They said, oh, what you were you like a 400, 800 guy? I said, no, <laughs> I was a 5K, 10K, you know, steeplechase. I said, no way, you know, I would never expect that. And sometimes I even get like, oh, you must have been a jumper or a javelin thrower. Um, but it just is kind of fun to, to get on that line and to just a surprise. Um, and to, while you don't fit in, to, to prove that you belong. Now, how do you schedule your weightlifting stuff with your running routine like how, how does that work for you is it planned out or you know how does that just because i know you also like to do crossfit you like to do a whole bunch of stuff you know as you mentioned before mm-hmm. you like being an all-around athlete so how do you make that work in your weekly and monthly schedule i'll be honest with you i lift every day um so let's see monday i guess you know I'll try to get all my runs early in the day unless I'm training with my, uh, my team, the Power Milers, which we meet on Tuesdays, Tuesday nights. Um, I'll usually get out at 4.30 or 5 and finish my run around the gym and get right into the gym. 
like on a Monday, I'll do chest and tries. On Tuesday, I'll do back, which is often right after I finish my track workout. Um, a lot of us in New Orleans like to pride ourselves in both our, our running ability and our drinking ability. <laughs> um, so the running group I'm part of will always have a couple of beers afterwards and kind of just shoot the stuff, talk to each other, you know, whatever it might be. But I'm always just like, hey, guys, I sorry, I got to leave. I hate to run and go, but I, that's what I'm going to do. And I go right to the gym for my back workout. Um, and then, you know, Wednesday is usually my yoga day. And then, let's see, Thursday I'll go shoulders. Friday, technically arms. And then Saturday is kind of a um, – Saturday and Sunday are my kind of hodgepodge days where I'll – just do anything that I missed or I'll kind of do some high intensity stuff like battle ropes or tire flipping or things of that nature. Now, do you have to coordinate that with like you say your speed sessions or your high quality work to make sure that you're not overcooking yourself or is it to the point now where it doesn't have too much of an impact on each other? No, it has no impact on each other. I've just been doing it for so long that I think my body would be freaked out if it didn't have to do a hard back workout right after knocking out a 2k 1k 800 intervals now can you look back and compare how you felt as a runner when you weren't lifting hard versus how you feel now oh for sure i mean you got to keep the engine strong you got to keep it going because at the end of races when you break down you you're going to get a lot of power through your arms and as well as through your legs obviously but if your cardiovascular is strong and you have some good musculature to, to kind of propel you forward, um, it, I've always noticed this throughout college and especially now that when I see other people getting tired, I see myself getting stronger just because I have that little extra mass and the extra oomph, I guess, to get it done. All right, which brings us to, to this year. So you started the year... 2018 i shouldn't say this year because we are technically 2019 now um so you started the year with no visions of a marathon as you mentioned nope so what changed i don't know um i guess my uh one of my what i I also do a a workout group in new orleans called uh, november project and it's in i think 44 cities around the nation around the world actually and one of the co-leaders, Mia, um, she brought up how she wanted to run a marathon in the summer and try to Boston qualify. And being the on a whim kind of guy that I am, I said, hey, if you find a good one, I'll run with you and I'll train with you and we'll go up together. And I don't know if she counted it as lip service or whatever. And heck, I probably even counted it as lip service to myself because I didn't know what I just said. Yeah, I'll go run a marathon. Sure. I've never done more than, you know, 16 miles in a long run ever. And here I am ready to do it. And then she was like, okay, I think I might go up to grandma's marathon in Duluth. I said, all right. So I ended up signing up. And as soon as I hit submit and I got that email, I was like, oh my God, what did I just do? Um, It was like that record scratch freeze frame. I bet you're wondering how I got myself in this situation. (laughs) But but there I was, and I signed up for that marathon, and as of right after Mardi Gras, uh, I started my training. So how much time did that give you? Uh, I think it was – I think I gave myself a 12-week cycle. Okay, but you were, uh, but you were pretty fit. Like you had a foundation to build upon. Uh, more or less. I mean, I had taken 10 years off. Um, so you weren't running at all? I, I wasn't running at all from about – 2008 until 2017 I think the first real time that I got back out there I mean we have a the Crescent City 10k the Crescent City Classic which is a 10k in New Orleans I ran that back in 2016 I ran like 4207 uh, my goal was to break 42 I was kind of bummed about that so I knew my fitness was nowhere near where I wanted to be and then after that, I signed up for the, the children's jazz half in 2017. And I had the goal of breaking 130 there. And I went 
which is right underneath there. And then kind of took some time off. And then I did the, yeah, I just took complete time off and I didn't run at all. I mean, outside of a jog here and there, I didn't put a workout in. I didn't run at all for about eight to 10 years. Right. But leading into 2018, you had a little bit of a foundation because you mentioned yeah. you had that. But so you had a little bit to build upon, but obviously a 12-week cycle, especially if you take a two-week taper, it doesn't leave a lot of room. Mm-hmm. That's for sure. So I, I need to backtrack there for a second, though, because okay. I read that you had taken that 10-year break. So what mm-hmm. got you – what was the motivation to get back in? Just the fact that, to be honest with you, I, I think – I've told a couple people this, too, that have asked about that. Um, there has I, – I liken myself – not myself. I liken just – let me try to think here. Um, I look at who I am as a, as a pie, that there are 10 slices, however many slices there are, and there had always been – this one slice that was missing for the longest time, I would say almost for eight to 10 years. Um, And during the end of my hiatus, I tried to fit as many things into that piece of pie that was open as possible. And none of them were good for me. Um, Read into that as you will. Um, But at the same time, I knew that I needed something to come back. And little did I know, I probably always knew that running was that piece of the pie that I needed. So once I figured out that running was it, I put my whole heart back into it, and that's where I'm now. Okay. Um, So when you dive back into it, you had this. You you had a couple different races that you that you kind of got into. Like you said, you achieved your goal in one of them, and then the other Mm -hmm. one not so much. Then you sign up for for grandma's on a whim. What was it like when you started that training cycle and getting into it? Did you just, did you take to it like a fish in water? You know, as soon as I got into it, I felt like, hey, I'm back. Um, it took a few workouts to kind of get my legs back under me to realize what kind of paces that I might want to hit. I did, my original goal when I signed up for grandma's, I just wanted to Boston qualify. Um, I didn't have any goals of breaking three, going under 255, 250, whatever it might be. But as my training went on, I kind of developed an idea that maybe I could do something special with this. And did you have a coach you were working with, or was this just all your own doing? Well, through the Power Milers, uh, we have a wonderful coach, Jimmy Smith, who does a lot of great things in developing training plans for us. But through Grandma's, there was nobody else training uh, through my my running group, sorry, there was nobody training for a summer marathon because those are pretty much unheard of in New Orleans um, and around the South where we mostly travel to these marathons. Um, so I was kind of out doing my own stuff on long runs and and I would do their kind of maintenance type workouts to get them through the summer with 5K work and 10K work to get to the fall but I was trying to do longer workouts. So I was mainly doing a lot of speed work with them um, and all that kind of stuff. Right. Which is, you know, obviously any work is good work, but it's not necessarily marathon focused. So was that something that you changed going into your second marathon? Oh, for sure. Um, The good thing is that we had a group of about 10 people signed up for the rocket city marathon in Huntsville. So we had a dedicated training plan and a dedicated training cycle and uh we were able to kind of go with that and i followed it to a t 100 percent. all right so you ran what was it 248 or so at grandma so yes and you mentioned it was a, a big time just the whole endeavor not just the race itself was a big learning experience from you moving forward what were some of your biggest takeaways from running my first marathon yeah. um number one that anything is possible if you put your mind to it and if you put your mind behind it 100%, because there's no way I was going to, I think I've mentioned this a lot of times on Instagram, and I'll mention this here and mention to anyone who asks, that if I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it 100%, or I'm not going to do it. 
Um, that's for any athletic endeavor. That's for that triathlon I did back in July. That's for grandma's marathon. That is for the Rocket City Marathon or whatever it might be. Um, and I guess another takeaway might be that don't be afraid to set high goals for yourself because you never know what you're capable of. That if you see, you know, I, I originally had said in my, in my head it was I wanted 250 once I got to things. But then I put on Instagram, 245. Um, there's a power to putting yourself to a higher standard. And if I put out 250, I had an idea that I could get that. But I don't want to see that. I want to know that I could do a lot better. So I put out the 245. And even though, even though I fell short, at the same time, what if I only said 255? Would I be incredibly happy with my 248? Or I'd be like, man, I wish I set my goal for a lot higher. Um, yeah, I guess those are the, the two main takeaways and the fact that I just love running marathons. That was the first thing that really came across to me uh, throughout. As soon as I hit mile 22, I was like, I actually like this. Yeah, see, that's a very unique thing, especially someone running their first marathon who took such an extended break from running to have this like euphoric <laughs> feeling at mile 22 is like, if you know, you know, you've listened to this podcast enough. It's like the exact opposite of the stories that everyone tells It's the exact opposite of my first marathon. Lord knows. So what do you think about your training allowed you to have that? Um, just that such a well-executed race going into a first marathon, because that really is, you know, not, you know, that is not the typical experience. I think it says more than I'm a masochist more than anything. Um, but <coughs> excuse me. Um, but in terms of the, the race plan, I don't really know. Like I just went in knowing that I wanted to hit whatever miles. It, I guess it was six forty. I don't even remember to be honest with you, what uh, the pace per mile I wanted to hit, but because I was training, I think, at 6.50s. And then once I was able to hit 6.30s for most of it, it was like, okay, here we go. And then I kind of locked in throughout that. But I think a lot had to do with the fact that I was working with a team and working with a coach who knew what to do um, that first time. And to have just a, a confidence from that that I had in myself to come back and be like, you know what? I had these teammates who were incredibly helpful. I'm in, I'm forever indebted to them for answering every single one of my inane questions I had about marathoning. Uh, maybe it was when to gel, when, what should I go through the half in, what should I be looking at here or there. Even three of our guys had run grandma's marathon before, so I could ask them questions about it, about the course, about uh, the experience and that kind of stuff. And, I think feeding off of those other people have really, really helped me more so than my training because I only did one, one run throughout my entire 12 week cycle at marathon pace. Um, and that was just a long run two weeks out where I did, uh, what was it? Eight conversational miles, uh, four marathon pace miles, two conversational then four marathon to, to close it out. And that was it. I never did any marathon pace work. So to have that out there, but, but mainly just I'm forever, like I said, indebted to all those people who helped me out answering my questions. And then when you signed up for Rocket City, how quickly in that process did you set a new goal? Because um, obviously, you know, you, you I'm assuming I shouldn't say obviously I'm assuming that you had some pretty lofty goals coming out of grandma's because it was such a positive experience. Yeah, um, as soon as I finished grandma's, I knew that there would be another opportunity for me to run a marathon pretty soon, you know, six months later. Um, I was kind of debating between a few and then we settled on rocket city as a group. Um, and once I kind of decided to sign up for that, I said, all right. So I aimed for 245 this time. Why not go for 240? Because I, like I said, um, 250 was my original goal. Uh, for grandmas, but then I said uh, the two to two two forty five on Instagram and in my heart of hearts, that's what I wanted. So for the Rocket City, as soon as I started training, 
Um, I was actually training with a, a runner by the name of uh, Michelle Parks, who just got her Olympic trial qualifier, uh, Olympic trial qualifier at CIM. And she and I trained together, and I knew that 245 was something that could be possible, but I wanted better. And as my training progressed, I guess in the first couple weeks, I was like, hmm, maybe a, a flat 240 would be great. You know what? Maybe a 238 would be great. And I kind of kind of worked down from there. And to the fact where I was just saying, you know, sub 238, that's what I want to go for. And then were you basing this off of specific workouts or was it more of uh, comparing yourself to other runners who were running at a time that you were able to say, okay, if they can do X, then maybe I can do Y? Neither, neither of that. It truly came down to the fact that that's what I wanted to do. That is what I wanted to have in my heart. Um, I am driven completely by, mainly by my myself. I am going to get out there and do what I feel I can do. I don't want to basis myself off of anybody else because they're not me and I'm not them. Um, what someone might do is incredible, and I envy and I love to see success. But at the same time, what I'm going to do is not going to dictate what they do, or what they do is not going to dictate what I do. Um, and one of the best things my mom told me in, during my main, my marathon training cycle for grandmas was that go out there and run for Tyler. Don't try to run for anybody else. And that's kind of how I dictated everything else. Yeah. And then, so you're looking at 238, then you end up running at 236. So how conscious of the, your pace were you during the course of Rocket City? Like, did you ever get to a point where you thought, all right, 238, breaking that is definitely within reach or were you not, you know, eyeballing your watch the whole time? I mean, I was eyeballing it for the splits and stuff, but I was just out there for a run. Um, as, as weird as this sounds, and I'm sure the shoot, the, the shoe is going to drop at some point or I'm going to have a humbling experience. But as of right now, the marathon to me is just a run. I mean, it's just, I'm out there, I'm running with people, I'm running, against the time and run against the distance but at the same time it's never felt like a marathon to me it just felt like another long run so i check it on my watch as often as i check it during a long run if i'm on pace i fall behind it but i just know that i wanted to consistently hit sub sixes and if i could do that i'll get around my goal now how often did you train at that pace during this cycle a lot more than grandma's for sure um, we, I think I had at least, uh, most, a lot of long, a lot, a lot of long runs, excuse me, during the end of the training cycle, we're done at marathon pace just because our coach wanted to drill in our minds what that pace was. And so once we hit that, it kind of became second nature. And once we hit the marathon pace work after a seven mile warm up phase, while it was, you know, to go from 730s to a, to a 555, that was quite a shock to get right into it. But at the same time, once you're in, your body settles and you know it. And I'm grateful that he was able to kind of drill home. This is your marathon pace. Go with it. Love it and earn it. Yeah, I think that's a really useful thing. And obviously, it's very subjective. Every person is different. But I know... In the, the, my second marathon, I did very little. This is a long time ago, um, but I did very little pace pace work at my marathon pace. I did a lot of long runs at say twenty to thirty per sec, seconds per mile slower than marathon pace, mm-hmm. and then a lot of threshold work. You know, so six forty five to seven minute pace, and um, and even and even a lot of stuff on the track as well. And the uh, thinking was like, all right, if you do a lot of stuff faster. Then your marathon pace and you do your long runs slower, you're going to be able to hit that meet that happy medium during the race. And there's certain people who work with my coach who are absolutely able to do that. So it's not a one size fits all thing, but I know for me, I look back with regret about not doing more work in my marathon pace. Oh yeah. I think the, I can see that truly. And, I can understand that for the fact that I was the same way during my grandma's marathon training cycle, that I wish I knew what I knew now then. Um, I wish I 
had done a little bit more work at a, a marathon pace or even a little bit of faster pace to get to get used to it. But then again, um, life is all about learning and growing and adapting. And then I can take what I learned from grandmas I took into Rocket City and what I took into Rocket City, I can take out of that now to Boston. Now, looking back now at like your post-college years, say the three to five years after college, and looking now just at how people are progressing, you know, in in the American um, marathon world, it seems like there's like no correlation between, or very little between, like college success and who turns out to be like the best marathoners long term. So, what do you think it is about, especially for males? I've seen this too. Is that and I shouldn't I shouldn't generalize like that. That's just been my own experience. Is that mm-hmm. there's this there's this um, this kind of wall at the end, like post college, as soon as people graduate, where they finish up their their cross country career, and unless maybe they're like the, at the top top of the sport, there's this immediate drop off into like, oh goodness gracious, I don't want to do that anymore. And then you know what I mean. So it's like it's not as if you people a lot oftentimes continue to build and build and build on work they've already done. There's always there seems to be like this lapse. And then they pick it back up later. Yeah, I think it just comes down to, A, like I kind of touched on earlier, the burnout. Because you're doing everything so hard for every day, training, training, training. And I was not elite at all. Um, but I can only just imagine those those people who you're discussing, who you're talking about, just who might take that. Because they were probably, you know, at such an elite level. And then you know, running and winning championships. And then once they graduate, maybe they have a shoe contract. Maybe they don't. Um, Maybe they got, they just decide, you know what? I want to go and become a doctor or they want to go into law school or or whatever it might be. Uh, But I think the, the change that you see that a lot of people kind of becoming these big time marathoners, after a little bit of a break is that hard work that they rediscover their love of running, their love of competing and they get out there and they discover that they enjoy something that they never thought they would. Yeah. And there's also that independence about it too, right? All of a sudden it becomes a mm-hmm. choice as opposed to something that's just inertia that's built up over time. Exactly. I mean, nothing, nothing is forcing you to wake up four o'clock in the morning to, to go do this. You're not meeting up with the team. You don't have a scholarship hanging over your head anymore. It's just you against the distance. It's you against training. Um, and who's going to win out sometimes? Is it going to be your bed or is it going to be getting out and putting your running shoes on and going out and knocking on a 10 mile aerobic run before work? Exactly. All right, Tyler, thank you so much for joining me today. Um, I really appreciate the time. Um, you want to get into those last couple questions. I like to do it at the end of every episode. So when you're going out on your run, are you rocking headphones or no headphones? No headphones ever. No headphones ever. Now, why is that? I have just never, I don't know. I just don't like wearing headphones when I'm uh, running. I want to hear, I want to be alone with my thoughts and I want to be alone with the pitter patter of my feet. All right. So what advice do you give other people about running that you have trouble following? Uh, take the slow days slow. <laughs> That's the favorite. That's um, the favorite of the Rambling Runner podcast. <laughs> I, I can imagine why. It's just it's so difficult because your legs just want to move, but then to to want to go slower, uh, it's counterintuitive that it makes you faster. But I truly, truly appreciate, you know, those, those people who say take the easy days easy. That I finally read that enough on Instagram to where I'm like, all right, I'm going to try to take these easy, and it helped me immensely during my Rocket City Marathon trip. So how fast were you running your easy paces during that cycle? Since you were, run, you were basically breaking or close to breaking six minutes per mile throughout the marathon, how does that compare to the easy paces you were running in the buildup? In the buildup, I was trying to keep them around eight minutes. Um, between 7.45 and 8, I was trying like hell to go 8 to 8.15 but sometimes I was like, all right, I want to go a little bit faster. I got work in a little bit. I want to have time to do yoga and stretch. Um, so let's, let's pick it up a little bit. And it can just feel better to run a little bit faster because typically you're more efficient as well. Like, it, no, for sure. Um, but oftentimes that's not the best thing to do after you knock out a hard workout that previous night. That's a good point. Plus all the lifting you're doing. All right. So what, 
would be the one race that you'd want to do if you could run one run one, if you could run one more race for the rest of your life, but do it every year. Man, um, I haven't experienced it yet, but the Boston Marathon sounds pretty cool. Yeah, and you'll be there in April, as will we. So it'll be fun. Um, all right, so I'm going to count that as your bucket list race. So the last question that we give to every, uh, every person on the show, who is your dream running partner? Oof. I, I honestly don't know if you, I have one. That's, you know, that's like a, a question, who's your celebrity crush? I honestly don't have one. Um, yeah. whoever's, gonna, whoever's going to be in the Boston Marathon uh, elite group, one of them people, you know, they're <laughs> going to be in, they're going to be in the same race as I am. So we're, we're racing against each other. So do you have a goal for Boston? Uh, yes, I do. Are you going to say it? Sure. Why not? Um, I would like to be up there with uh, Patrick Cutter. Um, if we can help push each other to a sub two thirty, let's do it. Got sub two thirty. You and him, you'd be like the, the most jacked sub two thirty runners on the course that's for sure tyler hey if we if we can't beat him let's just beat him up there, right there you go that's that's a good that would be, be pure boston right there i'm sure you get a lot of people who'd want to hop in you know head down from sully's pub to join <laughs> into the madness right. tyler thank you so much for joining me this has been so much fun hey thank you so much matt this was a great All time right. thank you tyler for coming on the show and thank you the listener for listening to this episode i really appreciate it big shout out to Mercury Mile, Megaton Coffee, and Lowell Running Company for sponsoring this episode. Go to mercurymile.com, also megatoncoffee.com, and use code RAMBLINGRUNNER10 at checkout to save $10. Also, if you're looking for a coach, and we all need one, that's for sure. I can't stress that highly enough. Having a coach has always made a huge impact on my running life. Go to lowellrunning.com. That's L-O-W-E-L-L running.com for a great coach. Thank you so much for listening. I cannot tell you how much I appreciate it and happy running.